sickness. The Holy Spirit makes us able to speak a new language to God, calling him Father. Galatians 4, verse 6, this is the word of God, and it's eternally true. Because you are sons, this is speaking of those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, and it is speaking both of men and women. Uh, I won't go back into that, but when it says sons here, it's including men and women. Because you are sons, those of you who have faith, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, this is a wonderful verse of Scripture, and we're going to spend probably about three weeks on it. Think of it, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ and who confess that we are Christians who place our faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation from our sins, have received the adoption of sons. And because we are sons, God testifies to that sonship by sending His Holy Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts where he cries out in our behalf, Abba, Father. Now we read of this same truth in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, where we read, For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And so through faith in Jesus Christ, we become the adopted sons of God, and with our adoption, we receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, proceeding from both the Father and the Son, lives within us and marks us with the sign of sonship, namely, that our hearts cry out in this most familiar, this most tender, this most vulnerable, this most loving way of speaking to Almighty God, Creator of the universe, to call Him Abba, Father. When we are born again, we become brothers of Jesus Christ and sons of His Father, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Now, Aramaic is the language that would have been most used by Jesus and His disciples. Aramaic is a kissing cousin to Hebrew, and so the Jews spoke Aramaic. And so the first word, Abba, is the word that the Jews would have used in their intimate family life. Father is pater in Greek, and that is the language of the Gentiles. And so what you're seeing here is that the early church was a bilingual church. They weren't forcing everybody to speak Hebrew or its cousin Aramaic. And the Gentiles, obviously, since they were the latecomers, rarely have any power in a church. They weren't forcing the Jews to say just pater, it was Abba Father, it was a bilingual church. Now, were I to ask you what kind of culture this represents in the New Testament church, and were I to move you past the question of what language is used, and rather to ask you what word is used, I hope you wouldn't play dumb on me. I hope that you would recognize that this is right at the matrix of unbelievable numbers of battles in our culture. That it's in every news program, it's on Fox News, it's in the magazines, it's on the op-ed pages, it's the central theme of the books and novels and poetry and essays that are being written today. It's in hip-hop music. All right? 
What is it that I'm referring to? I'm referring to our culture's repentance and turning away from what they label patriarchy. And across the culture, we see this repentance and turning away. And we are falling all over ourselves, getting our feet tangled up with each other, trying to show that old people and prehistoric people and ancient people uh, used certain, and in the dictionary it would be listed as archaisms, you know, things that go way back in time that are very old and that therefore are old and in the way, all right? They're antiques, as my father used to say. Um, they're things that are, are no longer uh, needed except to look at and think of how old they are and how good people in the past were to have made them that way. In this case, we don't even think that. We think how bad people were in the past to have made it that way. And so in the last couple of weeks, uh, the major Christian publisher in this country, Zondervan, who is owned by HarperCollins, which in turn is owned by News Corp., which in turn is run by Rupert Murdoch, and so Rupert Murdoch supervises what happens in the major Bible publisher in our country that publishes the most used Bible in the country, namely the New International Version. They've issued an updated version of the New International Version, and it's called today's New International Version. Now, can you see how a sentence of Scripture that says... Here's how the Spirit of God witnesses that we are the adopted sons of God because the Spirit through us calls out, Abba, Father. Can you see how this would be connected to an updated version of Scripture where they take all the language of fatherhood and they try to get rid of it as much as possible? I hope that this isn't too complicated for you, but that you see that there's a connection here. If God says that we are known as his sons because we cry, Abba, Father. And then a version of Scripture is released and they say they're releasing it for the younger generation, people from like 18 to 32, which I'm not, right? And why is it that the younger generation wants this? Well, the younger generation has been raised fatherless. So the younger generation has no desire to have their language of religion have father at the center. But you can see my problem, which is that I'm supposed to preach the Word of God. The Word of God says you'll know that you are an adopted son of God because the Spirit within you cries out, Abba, Father. And then somebody tries to get you, and many of you are between 18 and 32, to use a Bible that removes the language of fatherhood from the Bible. I have a problem. And I know that probably every other church in this city will avoid this problem. But I'm convinced that if we avoid what everybody else is talking about and are like, you know, the three monkeys, monkey see no evil, hear no evil, do no evil, that God's truth is under relentless attack and that that truth will die in our hearts. And this has been the story across the centuries. Time after time, culture has attacked certain truths of Scripture. And the question in the church at that point is, will the church go back and defend that doctrine, articulate it, preach it, teach it, live it, show it, demonstrate it, 
Or will the church just get embarrassed and sort of hang back in silence and quick move over to another truth that the world isn't attacking? In other words, I'm trying to get you to be thoughtful about the way Scripture is preached in our churches. So that when you leave here, and most of you will do that quickly, all right, when you leave here, you select churches on the basis of having preaching and teaching and personal instruction that doesn't like go over here and tell you how sweet it is that the Bible says that we should love one another. I mean, yeah, right, you know? That's a soft truth. Nobody's going to argue against that. How sweet it is that the Bible says that when we become Christians, that God listens to our prayers. Yeah, right. You know, we may not believe it, we may not act on it, but we certainly know it's true and nobody's going to have, be offended at it. Right? But how about this truth over here that says, in Christ, He is ordained that our hearts cry out, Abba, Father, He is ordained that fatherhood is writ all across creation and how we live together as men and women. Now, that's a nasty truth. But it seems like what's the point of talking about, you know, share with one another and believe in one another and hope in one another and love one another, which are all good things, when John Lennon says, all we need is love. I mean, if the church and John Lennon agree, I don't think that's a place to focus the teaching. Now, it actually probably is, because what John Lennon meant by love is clear on the front of the album with Yoko Ono, right? I mean, any of you that remember it, his love was lust. I'm not saying there weren't any good facets of his relationship with Yoko. But... I better back right out. <laughs> I mean, okay, I'm saying that, yeah, speaking on love, when, when John Lennon has all you need is love, it's, it could be controversial. But it's not right at the center of what the church needs to defend in God's truth today. And so, look at it. You've got a Bible being released. And this is not the New Revised Standard Version, which was the liberal Bible, which all the mainline churches use, which the mainline churches got rid of fatherhood in. But this is a Bible for evangelicals. This is a Bible that's being pushed by Willow Creek and all its massive clones, numbers of clones. Um, this is a Bible that's being pushed by denominations. It's being pushed... Uh, by, well, I won't mention the names, but a number of people. And the New Living Translation, my father-in-law's Bible, and my brother-in-law's also, it's the same way. It's, it's, it's getting rid of fatherhood in the text of Scripture. And why? Why are they doing this? And again, please be honest with yourself and realize why they're doing it. They're doing it because... We are a fatherless culture. We are a culture of patricide, which means to kill the father. The surest path to having a psychiatrist think you're enlightened is to go in and tell them what a bad father you had. You understand that? You look at the themes of the movies. Look at the roles of fathers. They're pathetic. You know, you look at the Simpsons, right? Come on, you guys, don't play dumb with me. Now, I think that that's what the preaching of God's Word should aim at. I think it should be, what's the word? Pertinent. You know, I don't think it should be disconnected from your lives and your entertainment and your hip-hop. Okay? 
So, the Bible says that the Spirit of God gives witness to our spirit that we are adopted sons of God because our hearts cry out, Abba, Father. All right? Now, we have Bibles removing fatherhood all through Scripture. And the question is, why are they doing it? Now, I'm going to read to you their own words about why they're doing it. These are their own words, okay? And if you're good at listening to what your husband says to you and telling him he has not yet made you forgive him because his language is still bad, he still hasn't quite got it right in his apology, then would you please be good at listening to this and realizing they don't have it right, okay? Be as good with this as you are with your husband's language. Listen to this, the New Living Translation. This is what they say about why they've removed fatherhood from the language of Scripture. The English language changes constantly. An obvious recent change is in the area of gender-inclusive language. This creates problems for modern translators of the ancient biblical text. Now, do you think the ancient word ancient there is, is a positive word? <laughs> it's not. This creates problems for translators of the ancient biblical text. When's the last time those of you that are over 50 were pleased to have somebody call you ancient? <laughs> you know, this creates problems for the tra modern translators of the ancient biblical text, which was originally written in a male-oriented culture. They're saying that scripture was written in a male-oriented culture. The translator must respect the nature of the ancient context while also accounting for the concerns of the modern audience. I think the word audience was a giveaway. Often the original language itself allows a rendering that is gender inclusive. There are other occasions where the original language is male oriented, but not intentionally so. That's a direct quote. And it's our English professor who's laughing. <laughs> now listen, you're getting snookered. I guarantee you're getting snookered. How do you sit down with a Bible and you open the Bible up and you take the very words of the Bible and you say, here's a place where it's marked with fatherhood, but not intentionally so. How do you know what the intent of that word is? You have a special pipeline to the Holy Spirit? I thought that's what the Bible was. A direct pipeline to the Holy Spirit, inspired by God, and therefore we submitted to it. Not that we thought we were able to take the printed words of Scripture and separate them from the intention of the Holy Spirit. That's neo-orthodoxy. That's Karl Barth. He had many good things to say, but on Scripture, he didn't. All right? He said that you have to look behind the words for the message of the Spirit. But it, it's the essence of evangelicalism and the orthodox doctrine of Scripture that we don't try to make a distinction between the words of Scripture and the message of Scripture. They are the same. I mean, imagine if our Supreme Court justices did that. You know, they told us that, uh, you know, the ancient text was done in a patriarchal culture. And that 
There are times where we can change that text in such a way that is in conformity with what it originally said, but there are other places where it's patriarchal and not intentionally so. And uh, so they've issued a new version of the Constitution. Now you say, well, yeah, but that's all English, and so why translate English? Well, because it's old English, right? Once you've decided that the language of fatherhood in Scripture is due to the... uh, ancient culture and that it comes from a patriarchal context, you see, then there's absolutely no reason why, even if it's in English, you don't have to change it. And that's what they're doing. They're changing the text of the NIV from the 70s to 2005 so that it's going to reflect our concerns, our prejudices, our stupidities. Now, that's me. All right? Our pain. Now, here's... The New International Version Inclusive. So first, the New Living Translation. That's what they said they're doing. Now, the New International Version Inclusive Version, which is from 2000, well, it's like 1998, but it is the predecessor to the TNIV. They say this, to guide its inclusive language revision, the Committee on Bible Translation adopted a set of principles. The first principle was to retain the gender used in the original languages when referring to God, angels, and demons. Why? Why are they retaining it with God, angels, and demons? I mean, I think all of us would agree that probably whatever we mean by sexuality has less application to God, angels, and demons than it does to us. So why are they doing that? But they say that. We're not going to change it with God, angels, and demons. They do actually change it. But not that often. But then they say this. At the same time, it was recognized that it was often appropriate to mute the patriarchalism of the culture of the biblical writers through gender-inclusive language when this could be done without compromising the message of the Spirit. So you mute mute the language of Scripture so that you can get the message of the Holy Spirit better to the people that read it. You know, if you tried to mute your wife when she was yelling at you and you told her, don't worry, I'll get the message better if you're muted. (laughs) I don't think she'd feel that she was liberated. I don't think she could feel that she was confident that by some subliminal method that you'd sort of by osmosis get her message. I think she'd want to be able to speak. All right, and now the today's New International Version. So this is the one that was just released two weeks ago by Zondervan, which again is a subsidiary of HarperCollins, which again is a subsidiary of News Corp, which again is led by Rupert Murdoch. Okay? And I, I guarantee you that has a connection to what's being done. As reporters, journalists say, follow the money. Okay, here's what they say they're doing. Authors of biblical books, even while writing scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit, unconsciously reflected in many ways the particular cultures in which they wrote. Now, think about that, you guys. How do you have holy men of old, as they're moved by the Holy Spirit, as they're carried along by the Holy Spirit, unconsciously reflecting their culture as they write? I mean, it completely decimates the doctrine of Scripture. Why isn't, if any man would follow me, let him take up his cross. If a man would save his life, he'll lose it. If he'll lose his life for my sake, he'll find it. Why isn't that a place where they are unconsciously reflecting their culture? 
Because after all, that's the place more of any other place in Scripture where I'd like to get rid of it. After all, if I'm free to redefine places where the writers of Scripture are unconsciously reflecting something other than God, I can think of an infinite number of places where I'm going to start saying, there's a place where they're unconsciously reflecting their own personal prejudice, their own culture, their own family background, their own ancient context, you know? And I'd start with, a man has to take up his cross. I mean, why bother with the language of patriarchy when you can just go right to the heart of it and say, I'm sick and tired of taking up my cross. I'd like to be Donald Trump. No, not really. But you get my point. I mean, the cross is a pain in the rear. There's no place messing, there's no sense messing around with any other text of Scripture if you can go straight to taking up your cross and get rid of it. Hence, in the matter in which they articulate the Word of God, they sometimes offend modern sensibilities. At such times, translators can and may use non-offending rendering so as not to hinder the message of the Spirit. And then this. The patriarchalism, like other social patterns of the ancient cultures in which the biblical books were composed, is pervasively reflected in forms of expression. And now I'm in complete agreement with that. Patriarchy is all through Scripture. But then listen to what they say. But these expressions appear in the modern context to deny the common human dignity of all hearers and readers. For these forms, alternative modes of expression can and may be used, though care must be taken not to distort the intent of the original text. And so, why am I reading this? I'm reading it because this is what's being done to the Bibles that you and your parents and your grandchildren and the people sitting next to you in class and working next to you at work are using. And you have to decide whether or not it is time to move on past the ancient culture and its prejudices. You have to decide whether or not patriarchy is to be killed. You have to decide whether you're going to have a husband who is going to be your head as a wife, or whether he's going to be your co-equal partner with no distinction made of authority. You have to decide whether or not you're going to go to a church where they have men in the positions of pastors and elders, or whether or not this is a part of the ancient patriarchal culture that's unconsciously reflected in the text of Scripture. I mean, do you understand... When you go into the text of Scripture and you absolutely obliterate every sign that God is the Father and that all of us as fathers are to reflect His fatherhood and that in our language and in our way of speaking of the church, calling you as women brothers, it's a constant reinforcement of God's fatherhood and of it being supreme over all. There's absolutely no way that you can obliterate this all through the text of Scripture and be left with a biblical faith. You can't do it. It does not matter how painful your childhood was. It doesn't matter how bad your father was. It doesn't matter how nasty your husband was. It doesn't matter what plays you've seen and what philosophers you've read. It doesn't matter what you've seen in, 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 in the child welfare courts or what you've read about in the newspaper, 
if you decide that the solution to the death of fatherhood in the Western world in the last centuries is to kill fatherhood in God's revelation, you will be destroyed on that anvil. Because you have turned your back on biblical faith. And this is what is being done in the Bibles that are being sold today. And you will begin to see these Bibles everywhere. And they won't be everywhere because every person that uses them hates fatherhood. They'll be everywhere because certain people who hate fatherhood have carried out their agenda in the back rooms of Zondervan and News Corp and HarperCollins and Tyndale House. And other people have just been dingbats. Do you understand? It's not that everybody is a part of the conspiracy. It's that most people don't want to think about words with their faith. They want to feel emotions. They want to have experiences. But they don't want to think that words matter. And so we come back to the text of Galatians, and Galatians says this. It says what? Read it. Look at the text. Galatians says, because you are sons... And if you want to be a part of this whole liberalizing trend that turns its back on fatherhood, that's where you need to start rebelling. Right there where it says, because you are sons. And you should say, I'm not a son, I'm a daughter. And I tell you, if you say you're a daughter instead of a son, and you refuse to be called a son, then you don't inherit the inheritance of a son. And you say, well, that's okay with me, because it's unfair that sons inherit better than daughters. I say, okay, fine. You don't want to inherit as a son. That's fine. You'll inherit as a daughter. But what that means is that your brother will not care for you until death. You say, that's okay with me because my brothers aren't caring for me until death. Anyhow, I'm on my own. It's the government that cares for me. And people, do you see? I mean, we're, we've completely given in to it. The government has become our family. The school has become our teacher, the public schools. The courts are our father. Do you know, I heard this last week, Oh, I, I can't be possible. But the figure that sticks in my brain on, on WFIU or whatever the radio station is. What is it? FIU? Okay. I heard in, in, at the noon talk show of mayors or something like that. I heard them say the cost of collecting child support from deadbeat fathers in, this fathers in the state of, of Indiana is how much a year? $45 million a year. And you say, what does this have to do with Galatians chapter 4? I say, you guys, the whole Western world is killing fatherhood. The courts become the father because they actually spend more money than probably all the child support in the state of Indiana just to get the fathers to support their children. And then we got no-fault divorce, you know? You don't have to sue for adultery anymore. You just say, I don't like her anymore. And it's over. She says she doesn't like you. And so the courts become... The, the, the parents that enforce the vows of the sons and the daughters. And, and then the parents don't teach the children to sit around and eat bonbons and watch television or go off hunting and, and, and fishing with their buddies. And so the public schools do all the training of our children. And then the public schools say that if they discipline the children, that the parents come in and yell at them. So they don't discipline the children anymore. 
And then incest climbs and abuse climbs and having children out of wedlock climbs and Christians in evangelical churches see no connection between this and releasing a Bible that is devoid of fatherhood in the text. And why? Because some of us are, 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 are rebels and revolutionaries and because of other, others of us are dingbats. And because the mass of us want our religion to be sentiment, feelings, emotions, experiences, and really don't want to get down to words unless it's the word Jesus Christ. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, there's absolutely no way that you can live a biblical faith and reject biblical language. Do you understand this? There's absolutely no way that you can be the adopted son of God the Father and refuse to pray to him, Abba, Father. Do you understand that? There is no way that you can have him as your father and have a Bible, which is his word, removed of all the patriarchal language of that Bible. Because he's the one that inspired that patriarchal language. It wasn't the stupidity of the people that wrote it. It wasn't their prejudices. It wasn't their culture. Don't you think God had a choice as to whether it was going to be Aramaic or Hebrew or Greek or modern, enlightened American English that it was going to be written in? Couldn't God have used our time to have the Bible inspired and have really enlightened people with PhDs writing the Bible? Come on, you guys. Do you see this? This Bible is an attack upon God's fatherhood. And those people who use it will be robbed of one of the most precious doctrines of Scripture. And if you've had a bad father, come back next week, because I'm going to get into the nature of our fatherhood and how pathetic it is, but how perfect the fatherhood of God is. And then... You, and I'll stop here, David is, David is after me, and I appreciate David being after me. But then, you will experience what I experienced myself, which was, all of a sudden, the world exploded. And it exploded good for me. And I realized that all of the fatherhood that I didn't have growing up, God gave to me in spades. Super abundantly. Hyper. And that he never leaves us or forsakes us. He never is abusive. He never is nasty, selfish. He's never aimed at my exterior but doesn't care about my interior. He's never deaf when I come to him asking how to fight sin. He's never um, insensitive when my heart is broken. You know? He's not a wimp. He doesn't lack courage. He doesn't give in to me just because I yell at him. <laughs> He's a perfect father. And once you see that, then guess what? You're never, ever, ever going to want to use a Bible that tries to destroy the language of fatherhood. Because all of a sudden, fathers are going to be precious to you. Starting with the father who names his whole creation according to his character. Now, I know I'm going to try your patience because I'm being nitpicky with words. And I'm really pressing you at a point where the culture is absolutely intense in the other direction. 
but please don't shut me off. You get that the other 500 hours a week. You know, let me have 45 minutes twice in eight days so that you love fatherhood, okay? So don't, don't not come back next week, okay? Please. Or as my mother would say, pretty please with sugar and spice and everything nice. I want you to confess your faith as we close. And I know you might not be there yet, but as an act of faith, will you try and sing as a confession of faith, children of the Heavenly Father? Let's stand.